0: Let us begin with our Old Testament lesson today and end with our epistle lesson. In that beginning, however, let us start with the collect or the prayer for the day. Almighty and everlasting God, give unto us the increase of faith, hope, and charity. And remember, charity is that, uh, we would probably call it archaic, but it's the Elizabethan age that just post-medieval English language Uh, That means self-sacrificial love. Charity is the love that hurts you. That's why when you give to a charity, you're hurting your own pocketbook to give their pocketbook a little boost. So we ask God, give to us the increase of faith, hope, and self-sacrificial love, charity, and that we may obtain that which thou dost promise. Make us to love that which thou dost command. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That prayer, that collect, is connected to the Old Testament and to the epistle readings in the charity or self-sacrificial love part in particular, but also in the sense that we need to love God's commands. Let's go to the Old Testament lesson. God addresses the Israelites and continues with the theme of judgment that is the main focus of the book of Micah. The setting is the whole earth, and God is setting up a courtroom. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. God continues, O my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? testify against me. It's a courtroom scene. And also some of you may recognize this language from the reproaches from Good Friday, a traditional liturgical component of Good Friday. God continues by listing the great acts of mercy that he has performed on Israel's behalf. He brought Israel up from the land of Egypt, from bondage to Pharaoh, and he gave them the leaders they needed. He gave them Moses, the great lawgiver, and Aaron, the priest, and Miriam, the prophetess. He provided for his people and took care of them. Is this the reason they are so rebellious, that they're turning against him? God then reminds his people of Balak, king of Moab and Balaam. "'O my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled "'and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him "'from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, "'that you may know the righteousness of the Lord.'" Balak was a little freaked out about Israel camping out in his backyard during Israel's exodus, so he called Balaam the seer to come and curse Israel. In the end, Balaam blesses Israel instead of cursing her. Indeed, he blesses her four times. And Balak's like, what are you doing? Stop this. This is not what I've asked. God is righteous and he will not allow his people whom he has promised his care for to come to harm. The problems and the harm that Israel does come to is a result of Israel's lack of faithfulness and righteousness, not God's. The next part of the text of our Old Testament lesson is considered by most scholars to be a personified Israel, the voice of the whole nation. With what shall I come before the Lord and, by my, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, is it just the worship that is needed? Rivers of oil and hillsides worth of rams? Perfect sacrificial victims? For that matter, perhaps the most Worthy victims, my children? Is that what you want, God? For of course, Israel had been infected by her neighbors to participate in child sacrifice. The answer, of course, is that it is not worship alone, much less blasphemous false worship, child sacrifice, that is required of God. The Israelites had been told before, indeed, the lawgiver had shown them that righteous and moral living was required. The moral law needed to be lived out on a daily basis. Justice, mercy, and humility in walking with God was what was being asked of them. Justice is giving someone or something his or its due. Mercy is, of course, not giving the due reward for sin or for error, giving grace instead of justice. If we act this way towards our neighbor, in the humility of obedience to God, we would be fulfilling the second greatest commandment pretty faithfully, wouldn't we? Jesus says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you paid tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So we have seen the command for the Old Testament to walk with their God in humility, in righteousness and in mercy. St. Paul in our epistle lesson gives us a phrase for it, walk in the Spirit. I say then, says St. Paul, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the curse of the law but we are fulfilling the law. We will be walking as the Israelites were commanded to do, remembering God's mercy to them and walking in moral life with God. Where do you think we most consistently remember the mercy of God to us? Oh, I don't know, as you're walking out of the meadow and you're like, oh God, you are so merciful. Look how beautiful this is. Look, good. But more importantly, probably, every time we come to this building or whatever building where we're worshiping God, where we're gathering with God's people, this is a place where one of the main things we do is give thanks to God and praise to God for the creation, for the incarnation, and for our redemption. The three most important things the church has always praised God for. So we give him thanks and praise that his mercy has been extended to us. But if that's the extent of our thanks and praise and it does not work out in our lives, then essentially on Sunday mornings and on days, every day when we worship God, we are lying. Because we're not walking out in the mercy of God, showing mercy to others, extending grace to others, loving others. So this that we're doing right now has to be connected with the rest of of our day today and tomorrow and the next day, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. St. Paul, in our epistle, goes on to list what I call the uglies, the sins that are a product of the flesh and the selfish heart. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes, even if they come to church every Sunday. Because if your life is not infected by what we do here today and the grace of God that we receive here today and the word of God read and preached today, then we're liars. Others, though, who walk by the Spirit, who walk with God in justice and mercy and humility, who fulfill what we do today during every day as out in the world, Those people are Christ's, and he will be faithful to them. Any judgment we receive is for our own lack of faithfulness, not Christ's faithlessness. St. Paul lists out the kind of life that a Christian should look like. It is a life led by the Spirit. You see, we are promised even more help in walking with God than the old covenant Christian was promised. God himself is with us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have the Holy Spirit with us. Now, if we say, yeah, no thanks God, Holy Spirit, don't need your help today. That that thing called free will, God is just to listen to what we say, and he will back off and let us make our blunders. But every day we should be saying, God, fill me, fill me with your Spirit, that I might walk in mercy and truth, faithfulness and righteousness. That's the type of life we are to lead. For God has fulfilled his promise to us, all of his promises, and he's fulfilled them to the world. He has led us out of slavery and bondage to sin and into the promised land of the church, the land of fruits and honey, the land of grace in word and in sacrament. Let us then live the life of God in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. For if we live in the Spirit, continues St. Paul, let us also walk in the Spirit. And what does God require of his people? To give up the things of the flesh, to remember God's faithfulness, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen.